The 75th edition of the United Nations General Assembly was a unique one. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, leaders did not attend the organization's New York headquarters, instead sending in pre-recorded speeches. The result was, you know, perhaps the worst Zoom conference ever. Brazil opened the general debates, as is customary. Senhor Presidente da Assembleia Geral, Volkan Bosquir. And 2020 Jair Bolsonaro was a bit different from his 2019 version, although some aspects of vintage Bolsonaro were definitely there. Denying an environmental crisis as fires destroy a precious Brazilian biome. Nossa floresta é úmida e não permite a propagação do fogo em seu interior. Check. Blaming international conspiracies for badmouthing his administration. Essa campanha escorada em interesses escusos. Check. Sucking up to Donald Trump. O plano de paz e prosperidade lançado pelo presidente Donald Trump. Uma visão promissora. Yep. Double check. Of course, this didn't come as a surprise to readers of the Brazilian report, as last week we revealed that Jair Bolsonaro had ordered his advisors to, quote, dig up all the data that can put Brazil in a positive light compared to other countries, end quote. This week, we take a look at President Bolsonaro's second UN address during his time in office, analysing what this means for his international image. My name is Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and standing in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. Last year, Jair Bolsonaro left the global audience puzzled as he used his United Nations debut to rail against domestic adversaries in a chaotic 30-minute speech. We'll link to a report on that address in the show notes. But for this year's outing at the UN, was it more of the same for Bolsonaro? We spoke to the experts to find out more. Guilherme Casarões is a professor at think tank Fundação Getúlio Vargas. He's the co-founder of the Observatory of the Extreme Right, which is a project to monitor the behaviour of extremist groups in the political arena. Guilherme, welcome back to the show. What did you make of Jair Bolsonaro's speech? In in, in the case of Bolsonaro, the, the feeling that I have is that he... He kept a very similar tone to the to to the to last year's speech, in the sense that he um, he mixed uh, reactive and aggressive moments during his speech, and um, I have the feeling that he was mostly directed towards his uh, public, uh, um, his domestic public, so his constituents, his supporters. It was not really a a traditional speech of a statesman talking about international politics uh, or the big picture of the country's foreign policy. So most of the issues Bolsonaro uh, addressed in the speech um, were related to um, domestic problems, were related to uh, a very inward-looking narrative that he tries to, to forge ever since he took office. So I think that all in all, it, it sounded like an electoral speech. And why did you think that happened? I mean, Bolsonaro already gets a bad rap internationally, and you won't find credible outlets saying his praises. Did he change anyone's mind this week? Bolsonaro has probably given up on uh, trying to convince uh, any international audiences that he that he's really a responsible um, statesman. And especially uh, thanks to the the whole uh, mishandling of the pandemic, 
I think that the world is pretty much aware that Bolsonaro is nothing more than a right-wing populist uh, with, with very clear authoritarian leanings. So rather than talking to the world, he decided to make a speech um, to his own uh, base. So um, if you, if you, uh, if you uh, uh, split the, the speech into, into parts, into, into small segments, you're going to see that he, uh, first of all, spoke to the military. He spoke to the evangelicals who, who are his religious base. He spoke to um, the ruralists or the agro-industry sector uh, that also supports his, his government. And he also spoke, he spoke to the liberals who are, um, who are part of the economic team of the government. So he, um, he sort of mixed all those compliments that he made to his supporters or to, to, to the big groups uh, that support him. Um, and of course, he tried to add some elements of international relations here and there. So whenever he spoke about liberalism, he made a reference to the OECD standards that Brazil is allegedly living up to. Uh, when he spoke of uh, uh, evangelicals and, and religion, he, he spoke of Christ, um, some sort of uh, Christophobia which is, according to him, one of the biggest problems uh, that humanity faces today. Uh, when he spoke about the military, he also, uh, he also uh, praised the way the military have participated in United Nations peacekeeping operations. Um, and he doesn't really uh, tell that uh, his government really wanted to uh, reduce the size of Brazil's peacekeeping uh, uh, participation uh, in the last two years. So um, there are a lot of contradictions, but uh, all in all, I'd say that his speech was mostly for his domestic base, uh, who will certainly use segments of this speech as, as material for social network narrative construction. And this is pretty much what Bolsonaro has been doing in the past uh, 21 months. And I'd say that he, he has just uh, discovered a, a new way of governing, which is pretty much through narratives and narratives all the way down. But beyond his kind of made-for-social-media zingers, what caught my attention was how he positioned Brazil between the US and China. He mentioned Donald Trump by name and praised him as a leader, and then he said that Brazil would be open to developing 5G technology with players that respect data protection principles, and then, when talking about the rise of agricultural experts, he didn't even mention China, which buys the bulk of Brazil's commodity exports. If we read between the lines a little bit here, what was Jair Bolsonaro getting at? Well, um, 50 days uh, to the American elections, I think he's trying to uh, push uh, for the candidacy of Donald Trump. I mean, that, that, that seems obvious from the outset. His son, Eduardo Bolsonaro, even wore a Make America Great Again Trump, Trump 2020 hat uh, a few months ago. Um, so it's very clear that Bolsonaro is trying to campaign for, for Trump. Um, and by allowing Mike Pompeo to, to come to Brazil uh, ahead of the elections uh, and, and, and talk a lot about the, the intention of promoting democracy to Venezuela, I think that that's very uh, symptomatic 
of the kind of support Bolsonaro has been uh, offering Trump at this point. I think that Bolsonaro knows very well that if Trump doesn't get reelected, uh, Brazil will be uh, isolated from, from the world. I mean, Brazil has adopted a strategy uh, which um, may be efficient, but it's also very dangerous, uh, which is one of connecting uh, leaders rather than states. So Bolsonaro has become friends with Trump, with uh, Viktor Orban of Hungary, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel. Um, but this connection takes place on a very personal level, uh, which means that when, when uh, Netanyahu steps out uh, of office in Israel, um, Brazil will probably not find in Benny Gantz the same support that he, that he has uh, from Israel now. And the same with Trump. Uh, he knows that if Biden gets elected, Brazil will probably not be uh, a, a foreign policy priority for a, a Democrat America. And uh, not to mention the fact that because Bolsonaro has campaigned for Trump systematically for the last couple of months, I think that uh, it sent a, a very bad signal to, to the uh, Democratic campaign in the U.S. So I, I think that he, he's trying to campaign for Trump in any situation, in every situation possible. And he used a, at least a, a, a paragraph of his UN speech to, to do the same. So he praised Donald Trump's uh, Middle Eastern efforts. He, he nominally cited the, the, the so-called deal of the century uh, proposed by Donald Trump to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, which has found no support in, from many uh, Arab countries or in, in most parts of the Middle East. So I think that uh, it's, it's Bolsonaro uh, acting just like Bolsonaro has acted since the beginning of his term, um, trying to, uh, to become friends with Trump, but uh, in a very subservient way. And this is, uh, I mean, bad for us because we've always had a very independent and autonomous foreign policy strategy and um, a, a rhetoric that uh, tried to place Brazil among the great powers of the world. And, and that's not exactly what we saw. We saw a, a president who belittles the tradition of his own foreign policy uh, to benefit uh, another president, which in the case is Donald Trump. You said that Bolsonaro's international reputation is pretty much beyond repair, but he will be Brazil's surrogate for at least two more years, maybe six more if he gets re-elected. So what are the long-term consequences for the country likely to be? Well, I'd say that there are three basic consequences uh, of Bolsonaro's very destructive and, and um, subservient foreign policy. So the first one has to do with Brazil's international image, which is unfortunately associated with Bolsonaro and will be for the next uh, couple of years, or if we're not that lucky, for the next six years. So um, to a large degree, uh, any president who uh, replaces Bolsonaro will have to work very hard to uh, make up for this uh, total destruction of Brazil's international image. Um, one of the things that uh, has to do with this international image that, that image that Bolsonaro is trying to build refers to um, a, 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 a very um, or, or an all-encompassing Christian nationalist project. I'm not sure if you've noticed by the very end of his speech, 
he reaffirmed that Brazil is a Christian and conservative nation. And I find it very dangerous because uh, you cannot reduce a, a country's culture or a country's population uh, to a single religion or to a single faith. Um, and one of the most dangerous things that we are seeing around the world is this uh, association between citizenship and faith. Um, it's happening in India. It's happening in Hungary. And it's also happening in the United States with uh, slightly different uh, uh, forms in slightly different ways. Uh, but in the case of Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro has insisted in, in this uh, perception or self-perception of Brazil as a Christian country, um, which does not correspond to reality. I mean, uh, out of all inconsistencies of his speech, that's pro probably the most dangerous of them. Um, trying to picture Brazil as a Christian country. And it will be very hard to uh, change this image uh, when, when, when it's settled. And that's something that the next president has to be uh, uh, very careful about. I mean, it's not to deny Brazil's Christian roots. It's not to deny the fact that 90% of Brazilians are uh, Christian, uh, either Catholics or, or evangelicals. But we cannot become a country that's uh, intolerant towards religion and especially towards religious minorities. So there's a contradiction in his speech when he speaks of Christ, uh, Christophobia because um, in Brazil, uh, Catholics and, and evangelicals are very much free to, uh, to preach uh, while religious minorities such as Afro-Brazilian minorities, they, they've been historically persecuted and especially uh, right now by by a growing number of Christian fundamentalists in the country. So the, the international image of Brazil is something that uh, uh, will, uh, well, has been damaged, probably be unrepaired. Uh, so the, the next president will have to make a, a huge effort to make sure that Brazil will get back to its place, to the place it deserves. Now, there's a second thing which has to do with uh, the institution uh, of foreign policy making, which is the Ministry of International Affairs or Foreign Affairs uh, that we that we have nicknamed Itamaraty in Brazil. Um, and Ernesto Araújo, our foreign minister, is um, undertaking a, a an unprecedented institutional destruction uh, when it comes to Itamaraty. We we have historically had one of the most professional diplomacies in the world. Itamaraty has always been recognized as one of the most efficient diplomatic services in the world. So um, we, we have uh, lost this, not only because Ernesto Araujo has pretty much destroyed uh, some of the basic tenets of Brazil's diplomatic traditions, such as multilateralism or universalism or even pacifism, but also because I'd say that our very professional diplomatic service has, has lost its morale. So they are not really, uh, they are not really working enthusiastically towards uh, a goal. They are actually uh, in this very, uh, very destructive inertia. And some of our diplomats have actually been persecuted by Ernesto Araújo in, in some sort of uh, postmodern witch hunt, because now what people are judged by is their Facebook or, or Twitter likes, uh, which is very dangerous because we, we live in a world where people cannot express themselves freely. Otherwise, they're going to be sacked from the diplomatic uh, course. So, so th that's uh, another very complicated thing. 
And, uh, and there's a third thing, finally, uh, which has to do with our international position. It, it has not only to do with the image properly, but also with um, all the negotiating tables we have left uh, without uh, a notice in the past two years. So basically, ever since Bolsonaro got elected in October last year, we've seen Brazil walking away from very important topics of the multilateral agenda, such as uh, global health, human rights, environmental issues, only to mention a few. So uh, from a, a very avant-garde actor when it comes to multilateral issues, Brazil has actually become one of the most reactionary actors in, on the international stage. And this is problematic in as much as Brazil uh, loses much of its traction in, in multilateral discussions, but also because Brazil has taken sides with, um, with countries that uh, I wouldn't like to see Brazil taking sides with, especially when it comes to values, such as authoritarian uh, Muslim monarchies in the Gulf or, or very, uh, very harsh dictatorships across the world. And um, I don't know, I think that the, the, the way Brazil has advancing a, a number of values and issues might put our reputation in, in a, an, an even greater jeopardy in the long run. One year ago, the Brazilian government was celebrating one of its biggest diplomatic achievements in recent decades, the signature of the Mercosur trade deal with the European Union. Negotiations spanned over 20 years and five Brazilian presidents before an agreement was reached. Just to give you an idea of how long it took, when negotiations began, Bill Clinton was still in the White House, the euro was yet to go into circulation, and the Twin Towers still stood tall in the New York skyline. But a year after the deal was reached, a lot has changed. Multiple European countries have shown resistance to the agreement, citing environmental concerns, mainly about Brazilian agricultural products. As recently as last week, the French Prime Minister said his country would not endorse the deal. Austria, the Netherlands, Ireland and Belgium also said similar things. So, Guilherme Casaroyens, how do you see things unfolding? Well, I don't really think it's going to last, especially the way it's been negotiated. Um, First of all, uh, I I wouldn't say that it's just because of environmental concerns that this agreement is probably not going to last. Brazil has adopted a very um, unusual stance uh, when it comes to European countries and when it comes to its own uh, neighbors from Mercosur. So Brazil has completely alienated Argentina from from the negotiations, the the the, the most recent negotiations related to uh, some other free trade agreements that Brazil is trying to um, to to articulate. Uh, Brazil has actually b- become uh, hostile towards Argentina, but not uh, only that. We know that Mercosur uh, has been built a- around. The, 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 the two pillars, uh, which are Brazil and Argentina. So uh, any, dis- any major disagreements between the two countries might put uh, the whole uh, endeavor in jeopardy. Uh, but Brazil has also been uh, very hostile towards some European countries, and namely France and, and Germany, 
um, not just because of uh, concerns over the environment, but also because uh, of something that the Brazilian government has dubbed uh, globalism. So apparently there's some uh, high officials in the Brazilian government who believe that uh, there's this uh, globalist conspiracy of capitalists, cultural Marxists, and progressive activists uh, around the world who who have attempted to destroy the Bolsonaro government. And, um, and s- some of the branches of this globalist conspiracy are represented by uh, Macron in, in France and Merkel in Germany. So um, the fight against globalism is, uh, to a large degree, a fight against uh, free trade agreements, um, j- just like the Mercosur-EU agreement. So um, that became also uh, a problem because uh, many countries, many European countries have looked down on Brazil with a lot of suspicion because they don't know what to expect from the Bolsonaro administration and also because uh, they know that if there is uh, an Achilles heel in in Bolsonaro's policymaking, that heel is uh, environmental policies, um, especially towards the Amazon and and now the wetlands of Pantanal. And it's it's no coincidence that for the second year in a row, Bolsonaro has dedicated a lot of his time at the United Nations to justify what he does towards the Amazon and to uh, accuse. Uh, some national and international actors of a a conspiracy. He even dared to call some Brazilian activist groups impatriotic to justify uh, this campaign to to accuse or to uh, uh, to condemn Bolsonaro for for all the environmental damage that he's he's been doing. Uh, so it's I, th- I think it's very complicated because. Um, even if we think about this government, about Bolsonaro's government from a, a liberal perspective, even if, even if we're trying to reduce uh, Bolsonaro to Paulo Guedes and, and, and the, the, the economic team of the government, um, it's very hard to live up to sound environmental policies that, that meet uh, the European Union expectations. So uh, if we add to this, this whole ideological agenda uh, provided by the Olavo de Carvalho supporters in the government, so I think that's the perfect recipe for an epic failure, uh, which is sad because uh, you're right to say that this agreement has been negotiated for more than 20 years. And um, it's it's uh, devastating to see something that has been uh, knitted so carefully for so long, uh, now it is in jeopardy because of uh, the government's ideological choices and in a very, uh, very fiery rhetoric. Uh, that's how I, I would put it. Now, Bolsonaro says these environmental concerns are just a front to hide selfish trade interests by agricultural lobbies within European countries. How much does this argument hold water? Of course, there are selfish interests. Uh, all over, uh, including Brazil. So it's it's not uh, something that only the French or the Germans do. Uh, but I think that uh, uh, one of the beauties of diplomacy is that you have to not only identify uh, those interests uh, coming from um, many sides on the international political stage, but you also have to deal with them. 
um, and to uh, compromise eventually. So, of course, uh, there is a, a, a very powerful lobby coming from uh, the French uh, agricultural producers or the Irish cattle uh, producers and so on and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Brazil has made a huge effort in the last uh, few years to make sure that uh, those interests will would be compatible with uh, Brazil's expectations and with uh, an encompassing agreement as the one that they celebrated last year. So, uh, of course, Bolsonaro is right to say that there are interests to uh, destroy the, the Brazilian agricultural sector's reputation. But at the same time, there are some undeniable facts. And one of the things that Bolsonaro did uh, during his speech at the United Nations was to um, to, to spread a, a, a whole number of half-truths, to put it this way. So he said, for example, that Brazil is, uh, is the, 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 the country that protects its uh, forests the most in, in the world, uh, which is not really the case. I mean, that's been, um, that's been a very common fake news spread by Bolsonaro supporters ever since last year, but it has already been proven wrong by many scientists. Um, when Bolsonaro says, for example, that Brazil is the sole responsible for the world's uh, food security, that's not true either. So uh, those those attempts to counter uh, uh, to counterattack and to uh, provide a counter narrative to uh, the alleged accusations against the agro industry in Brazil, they are uh, fraught with lies or half truths so to speak. So I think that's also very complicated because uh, those lies are actually pretty easy to debunk. And maybe the best way to weaken this argument would be by taking real action against deforestation, right? I mean, we are seeing in Brazil an alliance that seemed improbable just a few months ago with big agro companies teaming up with environmentalists to urge the Bolsonaro administration to enforce Brazil's anti-deforestation laws. Yeah, but but I, I think that there are... Uh, many interests, even within the big agro. So uh, Teresa Cristina, who is our um, agriculture minister, she she represents just a share of those agricultural producers. Um, she's been known as the queen of pesticides uh, a few years ago. So um, I don't know. I think that uh, there is, if we look at Brazil's agro uh, uh, landscape, there is a, a, a modern and fairly progressive agro sector, and, and there's the, the really backwards and reactionary sector as well. And I think that Bolsonaro has forged an alliance with the most reactionary sectors within the agro, which corresponds sometimes to criminal uh, actions, to uh, an anti-environmental speech. Uh, Bolsonaro has given platform in his own government to people who really believe that uh, environmentalists are nothing more than eco-terrorists, as, uh, as a, a group of Bolsonaro supporters often call them. So I, I think that somehow we, we see some fractures within the agro sector too. Um, it, it didn't start with the Amazon fires, really. Uh, you mentioned China in, in the beginning of our conversation. So I also think it has to do with China and international trade more broadly. Bolsonaro has uh, been as we said before, very hostile to China, to Argentina, and to some other partners in the Arab world, for example, who um, 
who are very important to the agro sector, so and to the halal meat producers, for example. So I really think that uh, the agro uh, they, they they provided support to Bolsonaro from from the outset during the campaign, uh, but now I think that the coalition is about to break apart, um, and this is also a, a very a very visible trait of Bolsonaro's administration. Uh, when he took office, his alliance was composed of at least five different groups. The car wash supporters, represented by Moro, the neoliberals, represented by Gadges, the, the ruralists, or the big agro, represented by Teresa Cristina, uh, the religious conservatives, represented by Damaris, uh, but, no, but not only uh, limited to her, because it's a coalition between Catholics and evangelicals too, and of course the military. Um, and more and more, we see that this government is becoming military and religious. Um, but the other groups, the liberals, the Lava Jato, the car wash supporters, and the liberals and, and the ruralists, sorry, they, they've been uh, uh, put to the sidelines in so many different circumstances that we might imagine that one day Bolsonaro will be a, a fairly militaristic and Christian government uh, above anything else. So the liberal project will probably uh, uh, fade away and, um, and, and to the chagrin of many, many people who voted for Bolsonaro because of Gadgets, because uh, we've seen uh, in, the, in the news in recent weeks that Gadgets is uh, one step before uh, hitting the sack as well. Guilherme, thank you very much. If you like Explaining Brazil, please rate us with five stars and that will help more people to find out about the show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial with no strings attached and that gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.